Ladies and gentlemen, I wish to apologize for the management of the limelight, which ordinarily caters to beautiful people, or at least people who think beautiful thoughts. And for those of you that were just offended by this awful display of acrimony, I can only say I'm very hurt. Now, aren't you ashamed of yourself? No! International Cooperation Week. Boy, I want to turn it back to the studio and play John Gambling Tapes, if you don't watch out. Eighteen John Gambling Agents are sitting in the audience here. All right, all right, gang, we're back here at the Limelight, which is in the heart of festering Greenwich Village. Festering with truth and beauty, grasping eternally at the essence of life itself, grabbing for that great brass ring of existence. And we're here right where it's happening. You got the ring, gang? That's <laughs> what I thought. Cold ketchup, sitting out there with mayonnaise dripping off your lips. By the way, speaking of that, you know, have you ever seen these commercials? Oh, you couldn't help but live in 20th century America and not know that the chief problem you got to fight is smelling bad. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, if you smell good, you're going to make it. You've seen those commercials. And there's another thing, too. You've got to be careful that you've you got to have beautiful breath. But they don't talk about the real things that kill people. Like one night, I had a date with this girl. I had seen her from afar. And all men know exactly the feeling I'm talking about. This chick you see in the halls. She's made of alabaster. And she floats in beauty. She drifts by with her books. And she, oh, have you noticed, men, that chicks come in pairs? There's the one you want and the other one. <laughs> All lovely chicks carry with them this little bowling ball with feet, you know, the walks along, the one with the pimples, with the angry look. And you finally get close to Bernice. You say, oh, Bernice, I'm sure glad to talk to you. And she says, this is my friend, Marie. She's a very lovely girl. And uh, you ought to take her out. What do you do? That's a girl trick. Well, this chick that I pursued for at least eight months was always with this other girl named Alice. Ever since that time, I've, I've, little pimples break out of me when I hear the word Alice. <laughs> little Alice was an aggressive little girl with a mustache. <laughs> now, I'm not making fun of ladies with mustaches. I just say that there are ways to wear a mustache and then there are ways not to. And, and this little chick just let her get scraggly, and I hate a scraggly mustache. And, and Alice used to hang around all the time with this lovely chick, and I'd see them in the hall. And day after day, week after week, in biology class, she'd be up there in the front. Her name was Atkinson, Dolores Atkinson. And by the way, I wonder how many of us have been kept from our true loves because we're in the wrong part of the alphabet. <laughs> Shepherd is always in the back. I grew up in the back of classrooms smelling lunches. 
You know where they have the cases back there? The kids put the lunches and the overshoes. And I sit there and I smell all the jelly sandwiches. I can smell the tennis shoes. You know, all the effluvia, the jock straps, all of it are all back there, you know. And I'm sitting there just living. That's my whole school. Every time I, every time I smell sweat, I think of school. And I'm sitting back there, and all the other kids are up in the front where the teacher has flowers on the, on the desk. You know? And they have Venetian blinds that let in the sun. And they can see the blackboard. How many of you have faked it all the way through? You don't even see it. It's an old blur up there. Well, up there, bathed in this nimbus of beauty, this corona of loveliness, was Dolores Atkinson. She had a neck like a swan. I'd see it there. Well, at that time, I wasn't interested. I was only interested in necks and that, you know. <laughs> You'd see it from the back, you know. And she's got this lovely golden hair, and she, you know, the fly through the air there, wow. And I'm sitting back there with Esther Jane. You know, and all my friends, like, like uh, Helen Weathers. <laughs> Helen Weathers, I'm sitting, was way before her time. As you know, many chicks today secretly want to play for the Giants. Well, Helen Weathers could have. You know, and I'm sitting there with Helen Weathers, you know, and the whole bit. I wonder how many chicks are mad that they don't call them out to try out for the Mets. Oh, seriously. I'm sitting there with Helen and all my friends, all the crowd that are in the back of the room. There's a special little crowd there. The smell of lunches and sweaty tennis shoes and socks. This is the beautiful time of our life. And up in the front is Dolores. The bell would ring. And I'd immediately get up. I'm trying to catch up with her. She'd go out. She'd float. You know, that kind of girl just floats. She was golden and lovely. And I'm sort of scrunching along behind her. Kind of want to talk to her, and I can't. She's with this little Alice. Well, one day it happened. We all get this one brief moment of opportunity. Grab it, Dad. It. I'm sitting in the library. And I'm faking a book report, you know. <laughs> and what's the matter? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I hope I'm among fellow criminals here. <laughs> I faked my way through it all, all the way through life. And I'm sitting there. By the way, did I ever tell you about the time Company K faked its entire score on the range? <laughs> giving us all sharpshooter medals? <laughs> I'll tell you that story later on. So I'm sitting there, see, in the library, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to make this book report sound like I read it. You know, it, you, you develop a special talent, and that's a talent for seeing the one key sentence on every chapter. You go through and it says, life is hell. You say, oh. <laughs> uh, the author's concept that life is hell is extremely interesting to me. I think this is a good book. And how many of you have written book reports like that, you know? Black Beauty, Black Beauty is a story about a horse. He was a very good horse, but a lot of bad things happened. Incidentally, that is the key word 
any book you read, you can say a lot of bad things happen. And it sounds like you read it, you know? So I'm sitting there faking my book report and sweating it out. And we had this, we had this library teacher who was only seen in the library. She didn't teach anything else. Mrs. Easter. Isn't that a great name for a librarian? Mrs. Easter. She was made out of tissue paper. <laughs> yeah, really, she was one of these white, kind of fragile ladies, and she had these two little steel ball bearings for eyes. And Mrs. Easter sat there with these claws, and she protected the morals of all these kids. <laughs> oh, yeah, she used to think boys' life was pretty racy. And, and <laughs> you know, I want to tell you a little story about that, <laughs> about how innocent the censor can be. I one time, she got along about, about, oh, I'd say about my tenth year. I got hung on sea stories. You know, how you, kids go through these phases, and, and she knew this. And so she used to have a little bit where she would save books for kids, you know, new books that come in. And she'd say, this one is for Charlie. He likes books about trains, you know. And so one day I come in there, and she said, oh, Gene, Gene. And, and incidentally, it was very politic to take any book she suggested. <laughs> it's a very good bit, you know. And so she says, Gene, Gene. And I said, yes, Mrs. Easter. <laughs> she says, I have a very good book for you. She reaches out there, and she gives me this book. And she says, it's about the sea. <laughs> okay. By the way, I had just quit the sea bit. <laughs> I was now deep in airplanes, you know. So I take it back to the desk and I sit down. So I'm going to pretend I'm reading it. You know, I pick it up. For one brief instant, I suspected that Mrs. Easter had become debauched over the weekend. <laughs> There was a frontispiece, and it showed a guy standing next to a shark. I'm going to tell you the truth. He's standing next to a shark. And he's standing there. It's a photograph, you know, frontispiece. And the shark is 40 feet long. It's hanging from the yard arm. It's got big teeth, man. His eyes are poking. Eye. It's dead, see? And underneath it, it says, this is Marsha. I learned about women from her. That ain't the kind of sea book I'd been reading, you know. I didn't know what it meant, you know. And I knew that Mrs. Easter had made a mistake. You know, deep down inside your little rotten, sordid soul, you know, you know. I knew it was a dirty book. <laughs> and on the cupboard had this innocent title called Saltwater Taffy. <laughs> Listen, if you think candy swung, gang... I took that book home and I'm hiding in the bathroom. I'm reading it. Holy smoke, sweat coming down. It got to the point I'm hiding under the bathtub. Well, I'm serious. It was, it was the first honest to John, truly rotten, dirty book I ever read in my life. Had pictures and everything. And about, about a week later, I take it back and I give it to Miss Easter. You know, I'm, you know, I want to get out of there, you know. 
said, did you like the book? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, well, I'll give it to the other children. That's it. Woo! She started all of northern Indiana down the drain, you know. Well, I'm sitting in there, you see. That's the scene. Mrs. Easter is watching the kids, and they all learn how to get this serious look in the, in the library study hour. Serious. And once in a while, you nod. And keep your lips going. It shows you're reading in Hammond. That's a kid, you know. Then once in a while, you make a note. All the while, you know, you just got this thing spread out, and it's some blank page, and your life is just going on. You're doing... The Army had a great phrase for what you're doing. It ends in off. Some kids learn very early in life that life is about that, you know. Other kids are working. They're reading, reading, you know. You're goofing away there, you know. I almost said it, gang. <laughs> and you're as living your way through life and trying to sneak by the easiest way without doing anything. When all of a sudden I am conscious of an aura. There's a, there's a sense of excitement in the air. And opposite me is sitting Dolores Atkinson. And she's without her little anchor. And she's all by herself. I'm all by myself. I'm sitting there. How many of you know this great game? This is library table sitting. I'm sitting there. And I kick my loafers off. <laughs> how, many of you ever, how many of you have ever played this game in the library? You kick your loafers off and you wait. And you see her moving a little bit there and she's working real hard. All of a sudden you feel it. The tentative touch. The tentative touch of a stocking toe. And you are playing footsies. Boy, is that a gas, I'll tell you. I tried it in shrafts the other day with an old lady. I sit there like that, you know, and your feet are, you know, and, and you pretend like nothing's happening, see? And she's got her toes, and they're tickling your toes. <laughs> your toes are tickling her toes. And love is beginning to blossom. By the way, what was the name of that game? They had a, they had a name for it. What did they call it here in the East, or didn't you ever play it? Oh, footsies. No, no, they had another name for it. What? Footsies. Well, Hammond was a little more basic than that. <laughs> I don't remember, but we're sitting there, you know, and our feet are going like this, see? <laughs> and she's looking very serious. I'm looking very serious. And Mrs. Easter is looking around. But see her, she's watching to see that the morals are kept strict and hard here. And all over the library, there's kids with their feet under the desks. The first tentative awakening of that great physical urge towards eventual procreation. It's, the feet are going like this. And it's, you know, it's really getting great. It's about 15 minutes go by and the sweat's beginning to pour down. And, and she's looking very cool and her golden hair is flowing. And finally, eh, 
How many of you had a bell that went like that? <laughs> you jump up like you're shot out of guns, you know. And I go whoop like that, and my shoes fly all over the place. I'm like, oh, I shoot a lot. <laughs> Mrs. Easter's watching with her talons out like that, her claws. And I'm walking out, and she's behind me. Now we're out in the hall. I say, hi. <laughs> she says, hi. Whoo! Hi. She says, hi. Now I'm debating. This is the great debate that men go through all the time, especially when they're kids. Shall I ask her to go to the Red Rooster? And risk the chance of being turned down again? Or shall I play it cool and pretend like I got 17 other chicks waiting for me at the Red Rooster? By the way, what you decide at the age of 10 will set your pattern for the rest of your life. There are some guys that are 48 years old that are still scared to ask their wife anything. You know? And on the other hand, there's the other... Have you ever wondered about those guys? All men know there's a certain type of kid, certain type of man, who somehow right from the beginning makes the scene right from the beginning and he's not you know he, he'll every chick say hey baby hey Dora and she says hi hi how are you and you say oh how does he do it <laughs> and you try it you say hey Dora ha <laughs> hey Dora <laughs> you know holy smokes what is it is it in the voice or what you know <laughs> he knows <laughs> We're walking down the street. Now, we are on our way to the Red Rooster. This beautiful girl, Dolores Atkinson. And I had seen her for ages. From the last rose where you smell the rancid peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Last year's meatloaf is slowly decaying. You know that smell of ancient leftover overshoes from classes long gone? Well, now I'm out in the sunshine. We are at the Red Rooster. I am about to spend every last cent. I got my dollar and a quarter. I've been hiding for weeks. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of money, you know? And we're sitting there, and over comes Chuck. He's the guy that waits on the kids, you know? He presided over all kinds, over 50 million liaisons in his day. I wonder how many guys have watched disaster growing right at this table you know he can see this kid with a chick he should never be with and he can see that this chick is already at the age of 10 putting the guy down here is a little latent Tennessee Williams already in the making you know and I'm sitting there with, with this girl and I said uh, I'll have uh, I'll have a, a, a coke lemon coke that was my big drink for one year, you know. I'll have a lemon Coke and I'll have a hamburger. What do you have, Dolores? And she says, Hi, Chuck. And at that moment, I realized that first thrill of fear. Beware of girls who know the bartenders. <laughs> How many times have you gone in with a chick, you know, I'll take you to this place. And she says, Nothing. She said, oh, that's very nice. Very nice. 
And you go there, you're going all out, and all of a sudden, five guys from around the bar, Hey, Barbie, how are you? How you been, baby? <laughs> and you get into this dark place, and all of a sudden, the bass player says, Hey, Barbie! Oh. Well, Dolores knew Chuck. Chuck smiles down at her, but, oh, wow, was she fantastic. And I sat opposite her, looking at this vision of loveliness. And then her hamburger came. And I bit into mine. You know, you get, you get the feeling like you're some kind of a cud-eating animal or something. You know, <laughs> eating can be very embarrassing, you see. I'm a bolter. I'm the kind that takes a hamburger and goes all the way in, all at once, you know. Stuffs it back. But now I'm nibbling, see. I hate a bolter. Just can't stand nibbling, you know. It's like licking the hamburger. I'm, I'm sipping my coke. You know? And she sits over there and she takes her hamburger, which incidentally was a cheeseburger with mayonnaise. And she takes this delicate little bite and she has lips painted with mayonnaise. And I looked at her. And she kept talking. Her neck was arching like a swan. The hair was blowing with the breeze, you know. But the mayonnaise kept dripping down her chin. <laughs> they never tell you about that in TV commercials. So it isn't how you smell it isn't whether or not your breath is nice it's whether that one little crucial moment of the mayonnaise in the wrong place kills romance dead d-e-d -E <laughs> by the way that's the new magic ingredient and while we're on the subject of those little moments of defeat and glorious victory somebody here wanted to hear an army story you want to hear an army story? Yeah. Why? Right. What do you mean, why not? Why? Every last four F hollers, why? <laughs> By the way, a guy, a guy came over here tonight to the limelight, and, and, and Marty is at the door, see? And he tries to get in. And he's just, you know, he's a real downy cheek kid. And Marty says, oh, it says up here you've got to be 21. You've got to show your proof there. And he reaches in and he says, I can't, I burnt my draft card. <laughs> By the way, I, I think I'm going to burn my social security card as a protest against life. <laughs> Speaking of protests, what station is this game? Come on, where are we? That's right, and we're in the limelight. <laughs> well, I suspect that maybe I should tell you an army story. All my fellow peace-loving citizens. We need At ease now. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of the storytelling. You can take care of the hollering, all right? Later. <laughs> well, you know, it's a funny thing about being in the army, being in the army. The army rarely is the way you think it is when you read about it. When you hear about it, when you see it in movies starring Rip Torn, 
Van Johnson. I wonder how many hellish battles Van Johnson has seen in his time. I keep seeing him show up, you know. Have you noticed one of the great army movie cliches is this company or this squad and suddenly in through the tent door comes the new second lieutenant. And they all hate him instantly. You know that, that cliche? Well, let me tell you, it doesn't work like that. Not in the army. When every second lieutenant comes in, there is the bristling. Up goes the little things. Well, I'm this kid, see, and I'm in the army. I'm in the army about a month, maybe. Something like that. And I'm going to tell you about one of those unbelievably hellish moments that they never write about, you never see illustrated in army movies. You know, when you hear about training, what do you think training's like? And you, you know, you, you see these soldiers and you never think about how they actually became that way. How many of you remember the infiltration course with the live ammunition? Oh, yes, sirree, Bob. Oh, wow. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, you, get this, you get this feeling, you know, of, of being impregnable. You got all this equipment on you. I'm in the Army about a month and a half. And we have just learned how to write face. <laughs> You know, this bit. We've learned how to about face. Oh, I was great at that. I was a fantastic left facer. I was very good at oblique march. That's a special way that the army pronounces an otherwise literate word. I'll never forget, you know, we're, we're, we're out about the third day we're having, we're having drill. And this drill corporal is going, hup, hoo, hee, ho, hup. Two, he, four, oblique, hunch, two. And this guy says, Corporal, it's oblique. <laughs> oblique, Corporal. One of those great moments of education in the Army. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you hear, you hear a lot of phrases for the first time in your life, you know, in the Army. I remember distinctly, now this is going to sound like fiction, but I remember distinctly. I am now at Camp Crowder. The first morning I arrived, Camp Crowder is synonymous with about the third inner circle of Dante's hell. Any army guy who remembers Camp Crowder, oh, Camp Crowder was like a giant carbuncle. And it was growing right there in the Ozarks. 130,000 guys sweating it out, and it's raining, and it's snowing. And there's mud up to your hocks. And we're eating salt pork. And I am lying in the sack. Oh, you have no idea how great sleeping is in the Army. <laughs> Guys in the Army work in sleep like other artists work in clay. <laughs> Mold it, you know. And I'm, I'm in my sack there, you know. I'm just... Because it's the one moment when everything is gone and you're your own thing, you know. Your darkness in your life. In your little sack. And that little GI sack holds you down real tight, you know. And at the end of the bunk is your ID, your little card. It's a Shepherd JP 16098946. And hanging from the end of my bunk, something I didn't understand. There is a white towel that the CQ had put on there. I didn't understand what it meant, you know. Any G.I. knows, see, I'm lying there in the sack and I'm drifting off, you know. Oh, gee whiz, whoa. Oh, I've got 
I've got this whole night before we have to get up and do it all over again. Oh. What? all of a sudden, get up, back! There's a light in my eyes. If you've ever been awakened with a light in your eyes, get up, get up. Come on, let's go. All right. I said, what, 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 what? How do you date me? Get out, KP, Mac. My first day on KP. Well, you know, it's a funny thing about guys in the Army. You begin to believe every time you're chosen, at least when you first start in the Army, that that shows they've noticed you. <laughs> they have, but the wrong things, you know. That slack jaw has interested them. And you could see yourself for the rest of your life on pots and pans. Well, that whole, that whole day went by. It was like delirium, just delirium, fantastic delirium. I couldn't believe it. Guys are passing out to the left of me. And they'd yank him up and they'd prop him up against the sink, you know. He's hanging there, sweat pouring. <laughs> you just don't see Don Amici doing that. <laughs> hey, that sweat's pouring and I'm on the China Clipper. How many remember the China Clipper, you know? And the cups are coming with the cigar butts. Oh, boy, you know, ever since that time I get mad when I'm with somebody, like a very big, important guy, and he drops his cigarette butt into a cup. I want to say, no, there's a guy on KP somewhere that's going to get it, you know? Well, that whole day goes by like I'm underwater. And finally it's nightfall. Seven, eight o'clock. The hectic activity begins to slowly descend. And it's quiet. And now the KP, this is a golden moment. You never see this. You never see this in army movies. That golden moment when the KPs have finished it all. You know that moment? And the yellow lights are hanging there all in that place. And the, and the, and the first sergeant has come down for his steak. Yeah, oh, that's a maddening thing. And he's sitting down there stuffing his yap. And he begins to get open and effusive. And it's the first time a sergeant has ever talked to you like a human being. He's got this four-inch steak in front of him, and it's sitting opposite him is the mess sergeant, who's eating a chicken he's fixed. And sitting next to him is the mess officer. He's got a steak and a chicken. <laughs> and the three of them are sitting there, you know, and, and, and that, then it's the gold moment. You sort of get kind of familiar, you know, that feeling of being famous. He says, hey, Shepard, come on over, Shepard. Bring, bring some milk. Come on, get some milk, Shepard. So I bring the milk. I'm still on KP, and I got the big jug, and I lay it down there. So I have some milk. Come on, sit down. Okay. <laughs> okay. There's my second lieutenant. And it's funny. I never knew second lieutenants ate. <laughs> no, it's, it's you're separated so much from the officer class. You wonder a lot about them. You do. You go past the officer latrines. All you wonder about it. You know. <laughs> You know, whether the same stuff is in there that we got, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole mystique. And so we're sitting there, and it's that golden moment, and Gasser comes back, and, and the first sergeant says, Hey, Gasser, get one of them pumpkin pies. One of the pumpkin pies. <laughs> and they have this big, they have a big sort of a case that's made out of screen. You've never seen this, have you? Everybody in the Army knows this. It's a big case made out of a screen. And they've got shelves. And on the bottom are all the army loaves of bread that they baked. 
It's made out of this clay, you know, and they'd stick it all in there. Yeah, and, and on the top, on the top, they had tomorrow's, tomorrow's dessert. They baked it. There are those pumpkin pies. And we've been seeing them all day long. We see them shoveling them in there, you know, sticking them in. And now the sergeants are going to glom onto them, so we're taking them out, you know. The gasser lays one down there. And the sergeant says, go on, get another one for the KPs. Okay. <laughs> Takes another pumpkin pie, brings it back. And now all of us are sitting. The six KPs smelling to high heaven. <laughs> one guy's been on the grease trap all day, you know. <laughs> I've been on pots and pans all day, and I'm sweating, dirt, and coffee grounds, and crud. And this other guy here, he's been, just, he's just been crying all day, you know. He's sitting there. And now we are eating. It's a quiet moment. And the first sergeant is quietly eating his chicken and his steak. And the lieutenant's got his tie open. His bars are sort of hanging down, you know, he's all sweating. And the KPs are all one with this. Eating pumpkin pie. And then somewhere way off in the distance, you hear, da 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 They're blowing taps. They're eating the pumpkin pie. Lieutenant says, not a bad outfit, is it? The first sergeant smiles. You can see the stainless steel fang. <laughs> <laughs> His best damn army, the best damn company in the army. And the six KPs, their mouth full of pumpkin pie. Yeah. <laughs> best damn company in the damn army. <laughs> yeah. Well, we stuff our gut for about ten minutes. And you hear the last sound of that... Da 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 Sergeant says, well, guess that's another day. Dismissed. I get up. Gasser gets up. The other four KPs get up. The lieutenant starts to tell the sergeant a dirty joke. And the six of us go out to the darkness. You can see the barracks quietly lying there. Off to the left, you can see the latrine. The door is open. You see 45 guys in a row reading. It's after lights out, you know. That's one of the more exotic sights in the Army. Incidentally, one of the more exotic experiences is doing it for the first time in the army. And you know, I'm a little embarrassed, you know, at first. And there we are, we're walking down through the company street on our way to the day room. Dead tired, I'll tell you, we had washed 18,000 cups, 400,000 pans. And Gasser says, Yep. Best. Damn company and the whole damn army. And I look around at old Company K and I say, yep. And you can hear him snoozing away in the darkness. And we go past, we go past the, the 
orderly room. And on the orderly room, they have the bulletin board with the fool's cap sheets. You know that they've got orders, big, thick thing on the bulletin board, that go all the way back to Washington's day. Boer War, you can just work on back through. They keep them all up there, see? And there is the order of the day. And we look at it, it says, oh, five, four, five, fallout, breakfast, reveille, Infiltration course? What's that? Hey, Gasser, what's the infiltration course? Is that where we go through the barrels and that stuff? He says, no. Live ammo. Live ammo. Do you want to hear about that story, the live ammo? Yeah. Yeah. You all want to hear about live ammunition, don't you? <laughs> well, all right. 5.45 the next morning, my bones are aching, I'm tired. We're falling into a truck, and they take the company, truck by truck, mile after mile into the boondocks to the infiltration course. And by the way, there was a, there was a legend about the infiltration course that every time a group of soldiers went through it, one was killed. Do you remember that? They used to say, one guy gets it every time. One guy. And we're all lined up, and you see this course laying out there. Looks just like a field. Got a couple of little concrete runways, a couple of little concrete emplacements there. And standing up on the top of a platform is the infiltration course commander. Men, Major Stewart here. <laughs> This is no joke, men. You guys are all going over. And you're going to see plenty of bullets. We want to get you used to it. How do you get used to bullets? You're going to see plenty of bullets, you guys. Now, here's what you do. You will go across the infiltration course by platoon. Platoon 1 will be designated as Wave 1. Wave 1? You know, you've been reading all this, this guy's going ashore in waves and all that stuff. I'm in Wave 1 now, you know. Wave 2 is Platoon number 2. And go when you are marked off. I got one word of advice for you. Keep your tail down. By the way, that's excellent advice. For any of you who have wondered about a capsule bit of advice to hand to the next generation, keep your you-know-what down. Well, he says, keep your tail down. We will be firing live ammo at a 30-inch interval over your heads. Do not raise your head. And when I call go, go. Anybody that will not move forward at this point will be propelled forward. Ready on the right. Ready on the left. When I say go wave one, hit the dirt and crawl. Emplacements ready. And here's the emplacements. The first time we'd noticed it. There's little concrete barrels all behind us. And we hear a little voice out, okay, Major. And then you hear, dum, 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 all the way down 
they're loading up. <laughs> you hear that click of, of drum going into machine guns? And we stand. I'm in wave one. Next to me is Gasser. Next to Gasser is Edwards. We've got all of our equipment. Entrenchment knife. On the back is my pack. And I'm already keeping it low. I'm waiting by. George, you'd be surprised. And we're all standing there with our guts boiling, waiting to go. Hey! Wave one! Forward! And down we go into the dirt. We start crawling forward. I see nothing. Nothing but little hills of dirt all overhead me. And there's, there's barbed wire coming towards me. And from behind, I hear the first one. Gun, 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 gun. That's nothing. Gun, 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 gun. And I'm crawling faster. Gun, 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 gun. And I weigh down you. Gun, 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 gun. And then it begins to come through. I also hear, woo! You have no idea what that sounds like. If you think your boss is biting your you-know-what, you ought to get a couple of rounds of 50s fired over your head. I'm laying down. You have no idea. You know when you hold on to the earth hard enough, you can feel it rotate. <laughs> That's true, man. You're holding, you're just feeling going around. And you can feel, you can also feel the curvature of the earth. Somehow it's curving away from you. And you're naked, you know. Somebody, you're going to pull it in, you know. Somehow dig in. And I hear this guy, wave one, get moving. Wave two, kick off. And they're behind me. And you've got to go forward. Gun, 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 gun. And somewhere in the distance I hear, and I holler over to Edwards to take a gasser. And I hear gasser crying off to my left. We're crawling forward into a hole. There's a shell hole. You remember those great movies that you used to see of Van Johnson? James Whitmore in the hole, and they're making smart cracks. You know, like, oh boy, what I wouldn't give to get back in the Brooklyn at this time. And Van Johnson says, What would you do, Sarge? Ha oh, you know what I'd do. And then they all laugh. The three of us are hanging. Like that, you know, there's a little hole. You go, it goes. And then, I don't know, they must have been able to see us from the tower. It says, you three in a hole! Get your tails moving! <laughs> and I crawl up the side of the hole. My pack is suddenly 18 feet high. You'd be surprised how you get used to it. I pack, I'm thinking, darn. Forward. Into another hole. I'm by myself this time. 
And there was one time I saw a movie. I wonder how much of us base our lives on movies. How many of you are down here in the village and you're looking for the village that's always in the movies? You know, with all those long-haired beat types and the girls with the guitars and all you see is little old ladies with shopping bags. <laughs> Reality ain't what it seems to be, see? And I'm laying in the hole and I remember seeing a movie once when I'm a little tiny kid and it's about a shell hole. And I don't even remember the name of the movie. If anybody here remembers it, I don't know. It's a classic movie, they say. And there's this guy in a shell hole, and he's with another guy. And they're having a spitting contest. Did you ever hear that? Did you ever see that movie, or did I invent it? And, and one of the guys is lying there, and he takes his bayonet, and he makes, on the other side of the shell hole, a target. And the two of them are trying to decide who's going to go first. And the guy that lays that oyster closest to that, closest to that, to that target there wins. And so they're going, and this great sergeant, he lays it an inch and a half from the center. And then the hero goes, bing. And with that, the sergeant gets up. He says, okay, you win. And he slowly crawls up the side of his hill. And he just gets up to the top when you hear and he slips back down without a move and the other guy just sits there and goes some guys win some lose <laughs> well you know I am suddenly in this hole and I see myself you know I'm trying to be heroic I go I don't even hit the side of the hole you are looking at the worst spitter who ever came out of the steel mills. You're supposed. Have you ever wondered about guys that go, ping, this little tiny white thing flies for 40 feet? The only one in my family who can do that is my mother. <laughs> well, I can see the Bronx is here. There's a big mother faction up there. <laughs> well, I am lying down in this hole, and I'm telling you, I'm really scared. And you know, it's a funny thing. You begin to feel kind of guilty for feeling scared. Because nobody in the movies ever does. And if he does, you know that he's a rotten you-know-what who in the end will save the platoon. You know that old cliche. So I'm sitting there like this. Hey, you! The first wave, get moving down in a hole. Let's go! Hole after hole after hole. And suddenly, I'm in the sunshine. I made it. I'm lined up there. Here's Gasser next to me. There's Edwards next to me on the other side. Over here is a couple of guys from the platoon, all covered with dirt and crud, mud, sweat. We're waiting. The corporal comes up in front of us and says, All right, attention! Now you men know just a little bit what it's like. He had 18 ribbons all over here, you know, with stripes. The whole bit, he had a purple heart and all that. You know, I want to tell you, you're veterans now. <laughs> I've been through hell. And that night, we sat in the PX 
And I must have had three Milky Way candy bars. <laughs> you know, I didn't care anymore. I'm drinking the 3.2 beer. The whole bit. And incidentally, that's another thing they don't show in the Army movies, is Army fun. That is, fun that's provided for them by the government. The machinery. How many of you remember the G.I. Beer Garden? Never saw it in the movie. I'll tell you what it's like. It's attached to the side of the PX. Now, if you wonder what the PX is like, <laughs> the PX looks like some kind of big, square, wooden barn lit with yellow light bulbs. And in that PX is the only girl within 400,000 miles. She's running the cash register. And one of the big bits is to go down to the PX and ask for Milky Way candy bars and look at the girl. And so we're all lined up every night, going down there. And next to the PX is this place. Now, I want to describe it to you. You want to know something about the Army. They have, they have leveled a piece of ground and covered it with gravel. And on the gravel, they put four wooden tables. You know the kind that you see in the forest preserve? You know, where it says, don't throw your garbage here, that kind of stuff. They have four little wooden tables. And over this beautiful little park, there are about five pieces of wire with naked light bulbs. And all around it is a chicken wire fence. And then there's a big red GI can, and it says, throw your cans in here. And that's what you do. You spend your whole evening trying to hit the can. You sit there with your beard. The mosquitoes are droning. Somewhere off in the distance, you hear that eternal sound that you hear in army camps, the sound of trucks. Always those big six by sixes with ten forward speeds. And somewhere off in the distance, you hear hoop, heave, hoop, heave, off in the distance. And you're off. You're all dressed up in your OD uniform. And not a human being within a hundred miles. Just soldiers. And you're drinking your 3.2 beer. And I remember sitting there, and I see the can. It says, deposit cans here. I take my can. <laughs> Shepard scores again. Go ahead and get myself another beer. Drink it real fast so that I can try the hook shot again. All night long we sit there, drinking 3.2 beer and scoring imaginary baskets. And then it comes. Da, da, dee. Well, sure had a good time tonight. <laughs> oh, boy, that old PX swings. Oh, boy, down we go. And we go marching back in the darkness to our sack. Now, that's probably as close to Army life as you'll get. You know, speaking of Army life, I was involved in the very earliest days of the... Well, the IBM world, the computers in the signal core. And I would like, you know, speaking of computers, that reminds me of, of something. 
Do you know that recently in one of the scientific magazines, they announced that they're working on an intelligent machine? Now, that doesn't mean a machine that repeats what you did. I mean an intelligent machine. <laughs> a machine that thinks its own ideas, creates its own concepts, reproduces itself. By the way, that'd be an interesting sight, wouldn't it? <laughs> Can you, you know, I, I suspect that the first truly dangerous machine will have been created when that machine develops a sense of modesty. It says, don't watch. <laughs> you know, and all the men are sitting there watching the scientists. I wonder if the scientists got a sense of voyeurism. Because I watched that one over in the corner there. Well, they're working on these machines that create that create themselves and their intelligent machines. Now, in the article, this scientist who wrote it said this. He says it can be reversed. He said this machine can be reversed so that it judges the intelligence of people. I submit a question to you. If a scientist came in here tonight and he says, I've got this machine. And all you got to do is clip the electrodes to your ear, plug it into your head, and it will automatically erase all false ideas, all ridiculous prejudices, all superstition, all crud, and will leave you only with pure, rational intelligence. Is there anybody in the audience that would submit to the test? Seriously, you know, I, I have a feeling that there's nothing we hold on to greater than our superstitions. Our, in fact, my mother, I'll never forget my mother. My mother had a belief that if you throw salt over your shoulder, you get good luck. And she threw a can of Morton salt over her shoulder, hit Uncle Tom in the left ear, and Tom was in the hospital for four months. And she says, well, there must have been some good luck connected with it. Aunt Glenn is happy now. <laughs> so rationalization comes big. Thanks for coming. We'll be back next week. Oh, by the way.